My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to think that I would never have to take a test ever again. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason other than criticism, which... As a reminder, we will never accept under any circumstances. Check the episode notes for our contact info. So uh, you had to take a test? I have to take a test. Oh, you have to in the future take a test. I have to take a test at work for my job. I was going to ask if it was a work thing. Is it a a certification thing? thing? It's not even a certification. First off. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I heard it and and then you repeated it. I was like, maybe she'll just move forward. (laughs) Maybe we won't have to talk about it. Here's the thing. Because... Because I was thinking certification and then was thinking the word certificate. Exactly. Yeah, of course. No, the thing is, I didn't really hear you say it (laughs) until I said it. (laughs) I repeated you, heard the thing that I said, and went, wait a minute, what just happened? That did not feel right in my mouth. I'm so influential that you'll put weird things in your mouth without even thinking about it. I mean, that's not that hard. Ooh, it's not hard when you put it in your mouth. You, I mean, everyone has their own thing. All right. Anyways, what is this test? No, it's literally just like, okay. So theoretically me and Andrew, who also works where I work, friend of the podcast. Has Andrew ever listened to an episode of this podcast? Remember who? Yeah, because he was briefly going to make a third spinoff. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I thought he only ever listened to Joe and Tony's podcast i don't know he might have that was the thing was it like one one of them was only gonna listen to joe and tony's podcast and one of them was only going to listen to our podcast i don't remember which was which i think it was that way i think it was tony refused to watch burn notice but would listen to our podcast joe had seen burn notice and would re-watch it while listening to our podcast exactly and then andrew was gonna listen to just joe and tony's podcast and infer from there did i say when we talked about the best episode of burn notice that like I got Tony to say that she would watch that episode of Burn Notice. Oh, good. Like, I don't know when, but at some point in the future, like, like they said they were willing to do that. That's fun. So, like, I think I'm going to s- stick to it. <laughs> I think I'm going to make them do it. For work, we have to, like, we've been in training forever. I know. I'm still, I'm still surprised that you're in training. You haven't you worked there for, like, a year? Not a year, but it's definitely over three months. It's just literally a thing of, like... Training is over when we've done all the modules and take the test. Got it. And, like, our job, like, is so, like, unorganized that just, like, we've never had time to, like, always do all the training. Like, my boss, I love my boss. She is, like, not a terribly organized person. She, didn't you say I, she's kind of you? She's kind of me. Sure. Yeah, she's kind of me, but taller. Okay. I look at her and I go, like... In 10 years. That's like... <laughs> so what like training... Because you've worked with dogs for and like animals well, for a long Well, it's all time. like knowing about medications and knowing okay. about like, you know, reception-y type stuff. And sure. like, you know, it's like, I would say it's like mostly medication-y type stuff. Okay. Me and Andrew and I think like two other friends of ours who are co-workers are all, after we record this podcast, going to have like a good old-fashioned study session. We're all going to like study together. Wow. And it's so... I feel like such a like college student right now are you gonna pull all-nighter uh, are you gonna have flashcards uh i don't know for pulling an all-nighter you gonna go to the I, uc and i would and be surprised use your meal card to like load up on tater tots and it's so funny too because like 
uh, all we're all like studying together. There's like me and Andrew who are like roughly the same age, forty mm-hmm. six, and then like another friend of ours who works there who's like twenty four maybe. I don't know. Oof. They're a baby. I'm pretty sure that was how old you were when we first met you. Probably. No, yeah. I was 20. Yeah, I was 24. You were 24. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I met you when you were 24. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, like this friend of ours, Oliver, they're 24. And then our other friend is a mother. A mother okay. of like a teenage daughter. And so like we're all... <laughs> the adult workplace is wild. The adult workplace is wild wild Mm -hmm. like i remember like oh i was at subway the other day and i was just like the woman making me making my sandwich was like someone's grandmother and i'm just like what's happening right now i hate that this is the world that i live in Mm -hmm. you should be sitting in a chair telling stories (laughs) not making my sandwich incredibly slowly it's not your fault that you're making it this slowly this was not what you were made for no you, 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 these, I am not the person you should be making a sandwich for. Exactly. Moment. Like, you should be making a sandwich, but we should be, I should be visiting you. <laughs> and you're like saying, I'll make you a sandwich. And I'm saying, oh, it's no trouble. And you should be saying, please sit down. I'm going to make you a sandwich. You're too skinny, honey. Exactly. <laughs> well, my, my uh, condolences to your test. Actually, it's funny. My mom's also studying for a test right now for a certification, a certificate, a certification at a her certification. work. And she was actually, she's been wanting to do this certification for a long time. She wants to get certificate, she, certified? Yes. Can, it's hard to say it wrong. <laughs> I know, and I don't know how I managed it. But yeah, my mom is like a terrible test taker. She's like one of the like, most practical, like intelligent people I know, but she's a terrible test taker. Because she's like very hands-on and practical. See, I'm the And opposite. she's so nervous about it. I'm the opposite. I'm an idiot. I'm really good at taking tests. That's why like I was so good at school for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm just a really good test taker. And yeah. I'm actually, I'm kind of worried because this feels like the first time in a long time that I've had to take a test. Mm-hmm. And I do not feel like I am a good test taker anymore. Are you, is it like, open book i don't no i don't believe it's open book what is the point of that you're in the workforce i know this is the thing where it's like <laughs> do they think you're not going to be able to ask someone no like literally or like here's the, thing. here's the thing people like will ask me questions about medication and then i will just google the medication yeah that's what i do i literally like i'm there like there was someone the other day that was like what's the difference between these two medications and i went well yeah the thing is and i just Google, Google, Google. I was like, well, this one's an anti-inflammatory. This one's for nerve pain. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, I just looked that up on Google. Yeah, I do consulting. And most of consulting is just you Google on someone else's behalf. Exactly. You were just <laughs> like, your job is to be a little bit better at Googling than them. Yeah. Like, that's it. Which is why, like, testing, we can have a long conversation about how, like, shitty testing is and how it is not an like, useful measurement of a person's progress in a subject, but, like, also, beyond academics, it is wild that it wouldn't be open book or collaborative. Right. (laughs) And, like, some of the, like, questions are, I don't know, some of them are medication. I think some of them are procedural or things like that. I don't know. Like, if it, it, I, I understand if it needs to be, like, timed with open book. You know, like, that makes sense to me where it's like, I need you to know that even if you don't have the answer right away, you can get it efficiently because you, like, know enough about it. Like, that I'm fine with. Right. But it seems, it seems unnecessary, <laughs> especially when you've been doing your job for as long as you have. Exactly. No, <laughs> I've been there point. for, like, I don't even know how long I've like been if there. if this was contingent on your hiring, that'd be, like, so what happens if you fail it? Like, do you just I, keep to keep taking it? I think it? I just keep taking it. And I'm... So then what's the point? I think, like, 
I keep taking it and I'm still like technically training. Who cares? How does that change anything? I think it depends. Like, do you get paid more if you get passed a test? No, I think it means that like, I'm generally not, although this is not true because like, because generally all the training people are scheduled at the same time as like the, that the manager is there. Sure. And like, so that they can like, the idea is that like, so that you're supervised. Yeah, exactly. That like this person, like you can technically be a little less supervised, but there's people who work on the days that they're training. Cause like basically now everyone is training. Right. All the like main recep, like main receptionists that aren't like, haven't been there for like years are like training because like they've lost so many people. But yeah. So after this, I have to go study Um, one of two days off from work. And I'm very annoyed about that. That is the thing that I'm most annoyed by is like having to think about work on days that I'm not at work. Yeah. That feels like they should pay you for that. The same way that they should pay you for your commute, the same way they should pay for gas and travel fees. Like we spend so much money Right. To work, and the, and we are not compensated for it. No, exactly. Like, which is why I don't feel bad anymore about like reading a book for forty five minutes in the middle of the day if like I'm not getting any emails and I yeah, don't technically need to. You know, like I I don't feel bad about slacking off anymore because a I know I'm an excellent employee at all of the places that I go to, and like I'm still working on my imposter syndrome in general, especially as I try to like find more opportunities and go further. But like when I am being paid for a job and I have already been vetted, then I kind of don't care anymore. It's also kind of the thing that I think, like, as the pandemic happened, like, the pandemic happened, and, like, everyone stopped and thought, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, no one in charge thought this. Oh, no, of course Because they require everyone to go to work. Yeah. But, like, everyone who just goes to work for a living kind of stopped and was like, huh, this is kind of weird, isn't it? Like, Mm -hmm. It's wild how much of my life is this. Yep. Like, I think I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop on that, you know? Yeah, I don't know if it will. It won't. Because capitalism has too much of a, like, chokehold I mean, on yes, the American, not even, like, economy, but, like, on the American sense of identity. Right. No, of course, because it's all Protestant work ethic. It's, mm-hmm. like, built into America. But you never know. I don't know. I don't know what to expect of the future anymore. Yeah, me either. Um, and I think, like, it's sort of interesting how that coincided with us growing up. Like, that that's my big thing about my personal experience of, like, the last 30 years of my life is just, like... Not the I, first 16? <laughs> fuck you. Um, I've been doing that to quit a lot recently, too. Of, like... Just the way that, like, as I got older, things got worse. Mm-hmm. In a way that's not supposed to happen for this long of a period. It's right. like, you know, it's, it's always going to be like a two, three steps forward, one step back sort of a system. But it feels like we've just been stepping backwards for a while. But also in a way that feels like a weird metaphor for adulthood. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird how much my individual like life like bad things happened at like certain beats in my individual development as a person mm-hmm. you know yeah weird like timing. to the degree of like literally like i started taking hormones and then a pandemic happened sure like like it's weird the way that like Wait, is it your fault is yeah. that what you're revealing is that the big thing that you're be. revealing here it might be what did what were uh, you doing when 9-11 happened uh i was in middle school yeah I but was... what were you doing 
uh, I don't know, I was in middle school, I was in class, I was, this is the thing that I think about a lot, because I had a kind of a weird experience of this, mm -hmm. because our teachers, like, hid it from us. Oh, really? Yeah, our teachers, like, were like, just didn't want to talk about it. Like, I didn't know about it when it happened, like, the moment that it happened. Mm -hmm. Then, like, I went to lunch, and kids were kind of talking about it, because I, like, I mean, some teachers had, like, let them know or something. Mm -hmm. They're like, there was a thing that happened, what, yeah, yeah, like, what? And then, like, it wasn't until, like, my last class of the day, my theater class, where my teacher, who, like, never gave a fucking a day in his entire life, was like, yeah, no, we're not doing anything. <laughs> and we, and then, like, we listened to it on the radio. Oh, weird. Because, like, our theater class was, like, out in the middle of nowhere, on the campus and like you had to like there wasn't a tv in that room sure you had to like go to an office and get the tv on the little tray yeah i we i think our teachers explained it to us a little bit but i had like i got to school and heard about it i was also a, a an hour after you yeah exactly time, so i i think it was earlier for me relative. yeah i was mountain time and you were what central time oh uh, yeah central time yeah and so like people were talking about it to me we went to class they started to trying to explain it to me and then somebody came and like got me and my brother out of class and like we went home and my parents explained it to us so i wasn't in school most of that day and then i came the next day and everyone was like crying everywhere and i was like this is so surreal right no yeah like but yeah how was it your fault Oh, uh, to, to circle back to that. So like you went on hormones and a pandemic happened. So, exactly. Like, what did you do? Well, no, because I don't think it's then, right? Because like, I feel like it's been like that for, no, because I always say this, like, I may have talked about it on this podcast before. Like, middle school is like the worst time in literally anyone's life. Yeah, for sure. Like, my sixth grade, 2000 election. Seventh grade, 9-11. Eighth mm. grade. Like, war in Iraq. Sure, yeah. Like, that was my middle school experience. And there's this weird way where it's, like, it can't help but, like, feel like the world is being narrativized around you mm -hmm. for the tight narrative of, like, oh, as, like, this is all a metaphor for my personal experience. And, like, mm -hmm. the thing is, like, that's the way that, like, everyone lives through their life. But it's, like, harder to, like, reckon with that when it feels so tight like that. Sure. You know? Well, this is all quite the bitter pill to swallow. Speaking of, uh, today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 9, Bitter Pill. It aired August 8th, 2013, uh, 12 years after Chris Cherry did something in middle school that caused 9-11. Uh, it was written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. and Daniel Touch and directed by Bill Eagles, which is an incredible name. Amazing name. I Very did not good name. notice that. Yeah, no, it's... It's perfect. He has previously worked on a bunch of procedurals, including CSI, Numbers, Cold Case. He also did some Battlestar Galacticas and since has directed an episode of The Magicians. Are you familiar with this episode? Yeah, it's one of my least favorite episodes of The Magicians. Yeah, it's from season one, so that's not surprising. No, yeah, it's like... <laughs> and then I a bunch of other stuff I haven't heard of. When I was thinking about the best way to introduce people to The Magicians, I was like, well, you can maybe skip some of those first half episodes. And I was like... Well, you can't really skip the pilot, even though it's terrible. You can't really skip. I was like, I looked at episode five. I was like, you could skip episode five. <laughs> well, I don't know if that has anything to do with Bill Eagles, because I felt like this episode was directed fine. Like, I, yeah. his name was Bill Eagles, so I wanted to pay attention more. Right. But, like, there was a lot going on, and I, I felt like I couldn't really focus on that. I mean, that episode of Magicians is directed just fine. I mean, well, I mean, he had a hard job. Yeah, well, so let's... I could go into it, but this is not a magician's podcast. <laughs> no, and I, I will have nothing to contribute. So I... God, what if I made you do a magician's podcast? <laughs> if, okay, 
I would do a magician's podcast with you if I could do a prison break podcast with you. That's the deal. That's the that's the blood oath. <laughs> I just know that that's the only way that I could make you watch the magician's. It's true. I would never, I, I wouldn't touch it again with a 12 foot pole. One of the best shows of the past five years. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about what IMDb describes this episode as. Quote, Maddie suspects she's being followed and takes matters into her own hands. The team tries to help a Middle Eastern diplomat when the individual is poisoned. I hate the way that, like... The individual is poisoned. The individual is poisoned. Also, like, way to spoil it, Burn Notice. Like, that's, like, a a major plot point. Well, here's the thing about this episode. Mm -hmm. This is one of those episodes of Burn Notice where... Sure is. Yeah, it is. No, this is one of those episodes of Burn Notice, because sometimes I'm watching an episode of Burn Notice, and I'll and I'll be like, we've been watching for a little bit. Oh, it's like, it's we're kind of kicking into gear now. I, finally, it seems at a little bit of a slow start. I wonder, like, how much more is left, and I'll look, and there's like five minutes left. Yeah, that, this like, was this was an episode that started late. It starts it wasted so a late. lot of early Because the time. thing is, the IMDb description is right. That is the premise. I guess it that's just true. takes so long to get to the premise. Yeah. That it that, feels like a spoiler. That it feels like a spoiler in that because it happens he gets poisoned like two thirds half I was gonna say episode, about halfway through the episode. Halfway yeah. through the episode. It's like that's the like that's supposed to be like the midpoint twist or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like nothing that we've done up to this point everything we've done up to this point is just set up. Yeah. Everything up everything that we've done up to this point is such business as usual setup it's such like act one shit Mm -hmm. like him getting poisoned feels like the act one turn and it's not like your halfway point it's not like no we should not be doing that yeah you'll see in once we head into the weeds which we're about to do like the first half is just like they talk outside of a building for a while So right. let's, let's jump into the weeds and unpack this a bit. All right. So we start with Mike uh, doing some d- mournful target practice in his bombed out loft and reflects on how deep in the shit he is. Uh, he's hitting the target, but badly. Like, you know, he's, he's not getting any bullseyes, but then he focuses up and the, the voiceover gets to an important part and he manages to hit the bullseye three times. Congratulations, Michael. Then two beefy boys show up to escort a weaponless and phoneless Michael to go see James. Across town, Michael arrives at a heavily guarded nondescript warehouse slash compound where Sam, Jesse, and Fee are similarly phoneless and weaponless waiting for him. And uh, they're all very pissed about it. Fee is specifically pissed because Maddie and Charlie were with her when she was taken. So she was at Madeline's house. Everyone's on edge. And like, this is the first part of the scene, the the, the episode. pre Like, this is still the cold open where I'm like, what are we doing, guys? Let's move on. <laughs> because Michael's scene was boring, but like, fine, it was short enough. But then we get here and they're like, should we escape? Should we grab the guns? Like, they're all having this conversation, like they're gonna break out of there. And Michael's like, what are you, if he wanted to kill us, we would just be dead. Why would he bring us all together and put a bunch of easily accessible weapons around us? And they're like, so you think we should just trust him? Like, yeah, guys, that's the thing we do. <laughs> We're fucking undercover. Like, what is the conversation? You really think he brought you here and was like, leave your phone at home so I can murder you later when you see your friends for a la- one last time? Like, what is... Are they stupid? 
I, yeah, I know. I don't understand. I don't understand why this is all here. Like, they can be mad. They can be focused on the fact that they're, like, being weird around Madeline and Charlie. Like, whatever. There's lots of reasons for them to be mad about this situation that doesn't boil down to, like, duh, do you think they're gonna kill us? Right. Should we fight back? Like, no, idiots. Of course not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very mad about this because it's already wasting my time. I think this is the last Barrios episode, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, this is the last Barrios. So, going out with a bang, huh, Barrios? Also the last Daniel Touch. (laughs) And, well, yeah. He's only done two episodes, though. I don't have any nostalgia associated with Daniel Touch. Do you have nostalgia associated with Alfredo Barrios Jr.? (laughs) Against my will. Right. James shows up and is like, you guys seem upset with me. And they're like, yeah, this sucked. And he's like, yeah, but you passed. And Michael's like, oh, this was a test, huh? And he's like, yep, it was a test. If you shot me, you would have failed the test. And they were like, cool. Thanks, James. Then cold open. Post cold open, James explains their job, but he's very specific. Somebody's like, what's the job? And he's like, ha, this isn't a job. This is a calling. Waiting tables is a job. This is more than that. Like, and this is something that he repeats again later. Sucking sucking a dick is a job. (laughs) But making love, making love is a lifestyle. But like, yeah, so it's it's a lot of that. <laughs> this episode is very much about the fact that like loyalty and the mission and the cause, this is what we're doing this for. This isn't, you know, don't think about this as a nine to five. You're not clocking in and out. You live and breathe this. And that's like the theme of the episode, which is it the theme of the episode? Kind of. Yeah. Like is loyalty, theme? It, like loyalty to your people. I guess I don't it's it's light it was like I can imagine it being like the line on the beat sheet but then Mm -hmm. the actual breaking of this episode kind of forgot about that for most of it because they put not the people that you should ask to write that kind of episode on this episode moving on from that though uh the main the the mission not the job, is that there is a man named Omar Hamed who's going to be assassinated sometime in the next 24 hours and they need to intervene because he is a, quote, lead reformer in the Middle East. And if he dies, there will be a war and war goes against whatever vague interest James' organization has but hasn't clarified. He's just called a lead reformer. <laughs> is that is that a job? Is that he's a, a reformer job? I don't know. Yeah, it's some sort of... He's like, like a he's influential an act- speaker activist. He's yeah. an activist, Yeah. But the way that they talk about it, it's basically like, this guy is the linchpin to peace in the Middle East. If he dies, everything goes to shit. It's also, like, very clear that, like, Barrios and Touch have no idea how the Middle East works. No. At all. So they're just like, he's a reformer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like he's not just a reformer. He's a lead. He's the lead reformer. He's the lead reformer. He's the reformer. It's like... I can't be bothered to know anything about how the Middle East works, how, like, political organization works there, mm-hmm. like, what kinds of things that he would be doing. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, he is just a Middle East type. He is a reformer. It doesn't, you don't need to know. We don't need to know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. They also, are, we are also introduced while we are learning about Hamed to a guy named Ben Snyder. I was calling him Ben, but then that got confusing because they never referred to him as that. So I forgot he's a man. Men are referred to by their last names. So there's so someone else in James's organization is named Ben Snyder. We call him Snyder for the rest of the episode. The cover is that Michael and Sam, confusingly, uh, as, a, as a couple, uh, are the bodyguards for Hamed, like, within the building that he's doing a speech. Why do you find this confusing? I don't know, because it feels like Jesse would be a more obvious choice for bodyguard type. I mean, I guess... Usually when they need to throw, like, hunks at a problem, it's Michael and Jesse. Like, I get that, but also, like, I don't know, because 
Sam is so, like, military. So cop-facey? Yeah, he's so cop-facey. I think that's the idea. I mean, so is Jesse. That's why he's pretty much exclusively playing cops. I know, but, like, weirdly on this show, I mean, technically he is, like, he's like a fed or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. like, I think he doesn't read, like, actually, here's the thing. Do you think Uh, it's racism? I think it's racism. Yeah. I was like thinking about- I should have known. I was thinking about the thing that I was saying, and it was like, oh, right, he doesn't read as, like- this guy's version of like copy like because he's not white (laughs) oh boy not barrios um okay so yeah so the cover is michael and sam are the indoor bodyguards and then fee jesse and snyder are like outside the place where he's he's, like doing it's very vague what he's actually doing yeah He's got, like, two speeches. He's doing one, then there's a reception, and then he's going to be transported to a second speech. And if he can get through both speeches alive, mission success. Exactly. You know, uh, mission accomplished, et cetera, et cetera. There will be peace in the Middle East. Because <laughs> this one dude talks real good. Twice. Mm-hmm. Twice. Uh, and speci- uh, just, just to put a finer point on it, the guy that plays Snyder is, a field op virgin, or at least as has not been in the field for a while for James. And also, if you need to, like, have an idea of him in your head, he looks like an old beat-up Chad Michael Murray. Yeah, he looks... I don't know if I've seen him before. He looks kind he's of like familiar. He's like a meth head Chad Michael Murray. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's a, yeah, he's one of those guys. He kind of looks like he's in The National. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute that's, that's to that. That's a band, but he looks like that. They all The National is a band of, like, five guys that all look just like that. Like, messed up Chad Michael Murray's? Yeah, kind of. But, like, they wear suits and shit. And, like, you know. And, like, one of them produced the last two Taylor Swift albums. Like. Okay. Yeah. Basically, there's nothing to this guy except for he hasn't been in the field a lot and he's an idiot. So, basically, he's, he's strong. He's got kind of a. He's got. Kind he's of James a, is strong. Yeah, he's strong. He's got, like, a little bit of a peppery beard. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not a bad look. It's not a bad look. But, yeah. like. There's nothing to him. No, there's nothing to him. He just kind of sucks. Yeah, but he he really wants peace in the Middle East. So before they go on this not job, important mission for good reasons and loyalty. The thing about this guy is that he sucks. Mm -hmm. And he sucks the whole time. He never doesn't suck. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's that's like his primary characteristic. Like, and it's kind of much like the episode, the same the whole time. No mm-hmm. twists, no changes, no arcs. Mm-hmm. Just that one note for 40 minutes. And I think he could have been an interesting character to sort of be the counterpoint to James's sort of fanaticism. Like if he had been so mission focused and like genuinely good at his job that he doesn't care about who, you know, he's he's Machiavellian and James is not. And that would make an interesting thing where it's like, no, we get this guy. He just has different priorities. But James is like, no, you have my priorities or you die. Like that could have been interesting to explore. No. Also, why is it this dude and not Sonya? I guess because Sonya can't be killed yet. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) Snyder's not long for this world. He is an ineffectual man. He's an ineffectual man, our favorite. So uh, before we go do that, Michael heads to see Maddie because of what Fiona was saying. And Maddie is pissed that Charlie had to witness Fee's low-key abduction earlier, but is extra pissed that the terrorist organization clearly went out of their way to ensure Fee was there. Because like Maddie had like an interview or something at a nearby preschool for Charlie, and they canceled it to ensure that she would be at home because Fee's normal schedule for whatever day it is, is that she comes 
comes over on Thursdays or something to like see Maddie and, and Charlie. And so her preschool thing got canceled and they, because they needed to know where Fee would be so that they could pick her up. So she was like, I don't like how much influence they have over my life and that they're fucking with me and that they're doing it in front of Charlie. This is not okay. And Michael's like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you anything, but like, please just leave it alone. I'll make sure that like Charlie stays out of it. And she's like, I'm not going to give this up. Have you met me? <laughs> This is my thing is I get involved when I get pissed. I'm a, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. I'm kind of curious. Whenever there's things like this where it's like, they got my meeting canceled. Mm-hmm. I always want to know, how do they do that? I assume they just call and either like schedule a separate meeting that then forces the meeting first meeting to get canceled. Like, yeah. oh, we have another in- interview today. Or they call as the person and are like, hey, can we reschedule? Yeah. It's one of those things. Well, like, like. Are they threatening people? Are I imagine they, like... not, because that would draw too much attention. I feel right. like it would just be, they would or- orient a situation where the meeting has to be canceled. I kind of want to, I want to know how that works. I do too, I but think, like, the specifics are not anything that Barrio's ever No, no of course. That. I want to know how that works. Because it's, it's also sort of interesting because, like, next week, like, the way that they work winds, winds up mattering. Like, we'll talk about next week. We'll, next but week. we'll talk about next week, next week. Which I think it might be a good point to talk about the fact <laughs> that we have some new shirts. Yeah, we've had a merch store for a while. It's been on our episode notes since a couple of seasons ago. But I, I designed some, let, we'll talk about next week, next week shirts with the Burn Notice logo on it. So if you want a, we'll talk about next week, next week shirt, you know, to let all your friends know what cool podcasts you jam to, you can go to our Cafe Press store. The uh, link's in the episode description. I may have brought up this whole thing just so I could do that. <laughs> I figured. I watched your face and the fact that you hadn't said it yet, I was like, I wonder if she's doing a merch plug. Is yeah. she doing a merch plug? Aw. Yeah. I really like these shirts. They're really good shirts. I There's two different designs. Yeah, there's two different designs. I stole both of them from, uh, I basically took a Canva template that were for nonprofits because I thought that would be funniest. <laughs> Like, cause and inspiration-driven, like, shirts. Yeah. And I made it our stupid bullshit. One of them has a yogurt cup on it. Right. Anyway. Whereas this week does not. This week does not. There's no yogurt in this week's episode. Spoiler alert. I could talk about whether or not there's a yogurt next week, but that would be talking about next week. And we'll do that next week. So Maddie's pissed and is going to take matters into her own hands. And Michael's like, "Mm, okay. Fine. So we go straight to Hamed's talk. He is giving a talk at a university, maybe, or somewhere else. It literally doesn't matter. It does not matter. It is like, it is a convention. It is like a ball. It is like just a place where adults are. And we spend truly so much time just setting up where everyone is and talking about fucking nothing. So it's like Michael and Sam are indoors and Michael's giving us some like bodyguard tips in the voiceover. Fee and Jesse are sort of just like suspiciously wandering around the perimeter of the building. And then Snyder is the man in the van and saying like, nothing suspicious here, folks. And they're like, great, thanks, Snyder. (laughs) And that goes on for a while, frankly. A long time. None of this matters. No, it doesn't. Then uh, Hamed finishes his speech and they go to a reception afterwards. And he's like, hey, you guys should eat something. And Michael and Sam are like, no, it's all right, sir. And then Sam's like, oh, but I really, the crab cakes look really good. And Michael's like, I will buy you all you can eat crab cakes after this. And Sam's like, that's going to get expensive, which I liked. I liked this exchange. It's very classic burn notice. It is. <laughs> it's, Sam is hungry. Michael promises him food. Sam promises to eat him out of house and home love it 
Good shit. Good shit. Then Snyder finally notices something useful because an encrypted call is being made from inside the building and everyone's like, fuck, who is it? There's so many people on their phone in here. People are trying to have peace in the Middle East. Everyone's on their phone. And then Michael notices like a cater waiter looking suspicious and talking on a phone, which doesn't seem to be a thing that you do as a cater waiter. And so he gives chase, Sam. I mean, don't you judge what a cater waiter can and can't do. Don't be a cater waiter hater. (laughs) Sam corners Hamed and like gets him into like a janitor's closet, basically to like get him to out of harm's way. Fee, Jesse and Snyder like drive around the side of the building that Michael is chasing the cater waiter through. The cater waiter then says something kind of suspicious, which is like, you know, because they think that Basically, the premise is they think that Hamed is going to get, like, shot, you know, or, like, bombed or something. Like, they assume direct violence is the way that this is going to (laughs) go, which is hilarious, but everyone's bad at their jobs this week. That's just, like, the premise of the episode, I guess. And the cater waiter gets out and he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to do it. I had no choice. And they're like, what do you mean? You didn't want to do it. Nothing's been done. Like, didn't you just, like, tell them Hamed is out there? And then there's a drive-by shooting. The cater waiter is dramatically killed in slow motion. And we say later to the cater waiter. <laughs> and everyone's like, fuck, what just happened? And then Sam calls in on the comms and is like, hey, Hamed is, like, seizing? <laughs> Ask me who the cater waiter's favorite character from Cars is. <laughs> is it Mater? It's Mater. <laughs> Mater, I barely know her. <laughs> There's like what four episodes of this podcast left? <laughs> yeah, for the final four episodes. <laughs> oh my god! You're welcome, everyone. This is the shit you come here for. I guess this is this is fifth. So it's this one next week, and then three more. Oh boy! And then two bonus episodes. Yeah. So technically, seven more episodes. I can't, I, it's absolutely wild we're in single digits. I can't, right. I can't think about that right now. I'll think about <laughs> the end of this podcast at the end of this podcast. So yeah, Sam's like, oh, uh, I think maybe poison happened. And then he's like, oh, and then, and then it's like, oh no, it was poison. The crab cakes, they betrayed him. So sad. So Hamed's dead. Uh, or not because they take him to a field hospital because safety. <laughs> They're like, he's not safe enough in a regular hospital. So Michael gives this whole speech in the voiceover about like, he, you can set up a field hospital in an hour. And I'm like, feels like in that hour could have been better used going to a fucking hospital. I guess they just don't want to pay for a hospital set and like a nondescript tent is easier. Right. No, like, like some IV carts on the side as props. And like later they kind of say like a hospital wouldn't be secure, but that's like after someone else is injured. Like it's not even like. No, it's, he says it in the over. They say it in like that next scene, but like, like that, the very scene that he's in a field office for, but it feels contrived and unnecessary. It 100% does. It feels like a budget consideration, which is fine. Yeah. But like. Don't talk down to me, Burn Notice. I mean, this is a, like, we're saving money episode. This is like, yeah, like, we're going into Endgame. This is just not filler, but it's a little filler. It's kind of filler. Yeah. Because, frankly, nothing gets, like, nothing is learned in this episode. No. Like, one... Nothing changes, really? No. Like, one thing happens... Which could happen at any point. Exactly. Like, it's an interesting thing to explore, but it feels like it would be more useful if there was more to it. Right, yeah. If, like, Michael was a little bit more invested or, like, you know, if he was kind of, if we hadn't learned what we knew about James yet, you know, if if he, if James was still kind of, like, 
generally affable but mysterious. Right. Like, if we didn't know any of that information, it would maybe hit harder. And this is what prompts Michael to, like, get shaken out of his fucking own head. But, like, that's not what happens. This is just sort of an unnecessary mission that's like, we do good things too, but in bad ways. And it's like, yeah, Bernotas, we've already established that. Yeah, no, this all... This is all not necessary. It's not at all. And then it's not even fun to boot. The only fun thing about this episode is that there's a crab cake exchange early on. That's like literally it. But we have to keep talking about it because that's the fucking show. So anyways, we're at a field office. Hamed's doing badly. They've slowed the poison, but because they don't know what it is, they can't develop an antidote. So now, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, the actual premise of the episode starts to kick in, which is we have to find the antidote to save Hamed's life. Fee and Jesse are running leads on some computers. Sam and Snyder squabble loudly over how to proceed. Michael separates them and like leaves Sam with Hamed, which is basically where he stays the rest of the episode. Sam just sort of like chills with this dying guy and that's it. And occasionally calls Michael to be like, he's not doing well. That's it. That's all fucking Bruce Campbell does the entire episode. He's Uh, dying real hard, Michael. Exactly. Um, Because we have too many characters and don't know what to do with them. So the other four characters go meet. Phone records show that the caterer was making calls specifically to a strip club. Strip a club. Strip a club. A strip a club that has been investigated for being like a front for drugs. And like the owner is a dude named uh, Khalid Mazik, who is from Libya. And like we learned from earlier that like the Libyans are trying to kill Hamed. This guy's probably involved. And he is also, like, a chemicals guy. Yeah, he, he's he's not just a drug dealer. He's a drug artiste. Yeah. He makes the drugs. Mazik makes drugs. Jesse from Breaking Bad. <laughs> exactly. Or no, he's Mr. White, really. Yeah, I don't... He's both. He's Breaking Bad. This guy is Breaking Bad. Okay, yeah, Breaking Bad Mazik. He's Breaking Bad from Breaking Bad. <laughs> uh, Snyder wants to go in Guns Blazing, which is his, like, second or third bad suggestion of the episode. Michael's like, no. Have I talked on this podcast about how one of my favorite things that people do is refer to the main character of a movie or show as the title of the movie or show? Like when Tony used to call Michael Mr. Burn Notice? Exactly. Or even more, just like, where like if someone's like describing the plot of Breaking Bad and it's like talking about things that Walter White does, it's like, and then and then Breaking Bad like throws this thing and it blows up and it's everywhere. It's so cool. <laughs> Breaking Bad's so badass. He goes and gets them. And it's like, I love that. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't get into Breaking Bad. It wasn't really my thing. Oh, gosh. And that's why I'll never make it in television. Because the people who make good shows I don't like, and the people who make bad shows don't like me. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, <laughs> Daddy. We yeah. love you, Daddy. We love you, Daddy. We really do. We really do, generally. Like, Alfredo Barrios Jr., mm, uh, I don't know about but you. Like, no, the thing that, like... Matt Nix is a guy who takes care of the people that work with him. And has bad opinions about cops and police state. But, like, yeah. you know, he's a middle-aged white guy in America. Exactly. Sort like, of part of the course. The way that, like, he looks after his people is just genuinely very cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand why, like, anyone who works with him, like, has nothing bad to say about him. And will brook no bad things said about him. I understand <laughs> that. Like, yeah, of course. No, if I was, like, on his sets, I would also be the same. Probably, Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, sorry, Daddy. But yeah, so so Snyder wants to go in guns blazing, and Michael's like, how about we don't do that? And he's like, fine. Really quickly, though, we have to go to a Maddie scene, which happens. Maddie goes to drop off Charlie at daycare. She's clearly paranoid that she's being followed, so she does what the voiceover suggests and goes somewhere that, like, no one would follow her to, which is, I feel like, advice we've gotten in cars, where it's like, drive off your normal route 
and see if they keep following you. You know, take weird turns that don't make any sense unless you're like lost. If they keep following you, then they're for sure following you. And Do it's something like, crazy like go into a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> like that that will tell you that someone's following you i don't love this advice because it's like go somewhere secluded like it's right. literally like go somewhere secluded old lady but i guess she does have a gun so she like she does have a gun she like draws him into a secluded alley and like turns around and holds a gun at this guy and he's like i wasn't following you i was going for a walk she's like in the alleyway and he's like you're in the alleyway and she's like i led you here i have a gun and he's like don't well then shoot me and she doesn't shoot him and so he walks away i actually like that i can I say, I do like this exchange. Yeah. I think, like, that actor is, like, this is a bit nothing part. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Okay. Like, I like that actor. I like the way he sells that line. He sells, like, then shoot me. <laughs> like, like for, like, a little day player who's got, like, three lines in the episode, like, he actually, like, kills it. You, like, believe that he works for James mm-hmm. because he's got that same kind of, like, crazy eyes attitude that everyone who works for James has. Like, you can see James say, well, then shoot me. Like, It's like so quiet and reasonable. Right. Like, weirdly, one of the more compelling bits of the episode. Oh, boy, that's a fucking low bar, y'all. I know. So speaking of bars, but bars that are in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I guess you call them poles. Oh, I thought you meant because there's bars at strip clubs. Oh, no, I was thinking of, like, like like, like a pole. Oh, no, I was thinking, like, you know, you go to a bar and order alcohol at a strip club. I guess club. that's true, yeah. Strip clubs do have bars. I've never yeah. been to a strip club. I've never been to a strip club either. Hmm. Maybe we should go for my bachelorette we should, party. We should go to your, for your bachelorette party. <laughs> we can't. Anyways, Fee and Jesse go meet up at a strip club with... You just gotta go... No, you... Well, we don't go to, like, a strip club. You go to, like, to a burlesque show or something. Something, like, weird and queer or something. Yeah, but I've been to a drag show. Didn't care for it. It makes me too nervous because they're on too high of shoes and they do a lot of drops. And I'm so nervous that they're going to twist their ankle. Like, I'm literally so stressed out at drag shows. Because Colton took me to one in Portland and I've seen another one before. And I'm like, I'm genuinely anxious this whole time. I love that that's your problem (laughs) with drag shows. They're just, their shoes are so big and then they like go full like fucking on their back. I don't know why everyone doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) This is great. This is great content. <laughs> I get that way sometimes at like plays too. I'm a little better at plays because I know how long they like, you know, are in rehearsals for and like, I, especially like Broadway stuff. Um, Cause I saw the color purple and the color purple stressed me out a little bit because there's a set piece. That's like all these chairs, like on the wall that sometimes people walk up and sometimes they take them down. So I know they're removable and that makes me a little nervous. And there's a lot of swinging them around, but I'm like, I assume that the Broadway production of the color purple is rehearsed enough that this is right. safe, but it's like at a drag show. I don't know. Like if this is their first time performing, like, I don't know how often they like do this specific thing and also fuck like half an inch go and then also people are throwing money at them which means they could slip they're in a bar that's like kind of sticky <laughs> i don't know how clean the bar is and then there's dollar bills everywhere and like what if they take one wrong step in their tiny little stilettos and twist their ankle as they're falling and like plan to go down hard and then like it hurts them very badly there's too many things that are going on that they can't plan for and it stresses me out <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) So, like, you would be fine at a drag show where all the queens are wearing flats. A hundred percent. That would fundamentally change the experience for me. 
Like, I probably still wouldn't love it, because, like, that, like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm getting out of this. I'm like, you look nice, I guess. I'm glad you're having fun. But, like, that would genuinely completely change the experience for me. That's amazing. Because, <laughs> like, I've twisted my ankles a lot, and it hurts. But I don't wear shoes like that and plan to go down on my ass anyways. So what happens next on this episode of Burn Not Us? So not at a drag club, but at a regular strip club. Fee and Jesse meet up, and they have, like, a weird back and forth and about Fee bragging that she was unnoticed when she came in, and Jesse's like, oh, it's because you're not naked. And then she looks, like, kind of affronted. And it's a very... did you Do you remember that scene? Yeah, no, I remember it, yeah. And it's weird, right? No, it's weird. It's, like, a weird back and forth that doesn't really go anywhere. Well, and the, the thing is... Because Fee's, like, really proud. She's like, yeah, nobody noticed me come in, and Jesse's like, that's because you're not naked. And she looks like like upset like offended by this but it's also kind of like i don't know see what's the goal of that exchange like i think okay i mean the goal of that exchange is to make the audience think about uh gabrielle yeah gabrielle and naked like that Mm -hmm. is that is what it's for Mm -hmm. like no that is written in the same tone of voice that like a guy trying to have sex with a girl's like so I was thinking like, about it is it was sort of in the same tone of like which one of us looks like a gangster and then like silence and looking at Jesse. Yeah, no, but it has that kind of energy. Like, weird kind of purient where it's like we don't want to say a thing, mm-hmm. you know, but it's no, this episode has such a weird idea about strip clubs like this show in general is very weird about strip clubs and we go to strip clubs a lot mm-hmm. and it's so weird about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because they're all kind of perverts about it. They're but... all kind of perverts about it, but also, like, not... But they're kind of self-hating perverts mm-hmm. about it. Like, they all kind of have to, like, be acting like they're not horny. <laughs> they can't be, like, horny at the strip club. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they're there to do a job, and they're not, like... They're better than the kinds of people who go to strip clubs to get horny. Right. Like... So, but they but also, they are undeniably horny the entire time. Exactly, but they can't like ever acknowledge that mm-hmm. they have to be like above it, right? And so they have to act like too cool for the strip club. Yeah, and like, but like the episode is so horny for the strip club, and so there's this weird dissonance there, mm-hmm. and so like that's the thing, like that's what's going on in that scene. Yeah, and I hate it, but yeah, anyways, no, it's terrible. Uh, Jesse has been observing Mazik having like suspicious meetings. People keep going in and out and they're like, we should go approach him now. So like they're basically they're doing a cold approach. Fee was back with Snyder picking up some like props for their cold approach and reveals that not only does she have a duffel bag full of like 100K and a bunch of ecstasy, which is like they're in allegedly, but also she's like, but there was a bunch of other shit at this storage locker that he brought me to to grab all of this. There was like stuff in biohazard like warnings all over them. There was like weaponry that like you can't even get from the military she's like they have like a crazy fucking bunker i kind of am sad that like we're going into endgame and like these guys are just clearly like bad guys Mm -hmm. because like i want to live in the world of this organization more like i kind of me too that was what at the beginning of the season that's kind of what we thought we were going to be doing because especially with burke's whole like i love this man jorge is my dude i will be loyal to him to the end he saved my life i love him he's the only man i've ever loved like 
it was interesting that, that they inspired such, you know, loyalty in one another. And like, they seemed very like anti-CIA, which is an interesting tension that we can't, even within the world of the show, disagree with. Right. No, but it is the thing, like... But then they farted around for the past couple of episodes. They, they just fart around for the last couple of episodes. They don't... I really want lore. I mm-hmm. want world building from this group, because it seems like it's kind of theoretically really interesting mm-hmm. like like james is almost this weird kind of willy wonka figure i'm watching tim burton movies uh, no but it's like like i kind of i want to go to like his lair i want to go to this place i want kind of like because like, he, he's like a slightly more violent better funded michael weston like, like he's you know the system doesn't work so i will go around it but like he doesn't care about collateral damage and has like a more f- final way of dealing with people like on a better show that like had not just had the budget mm-hmm. but also prioritized the budget differently mm-hmm. we would have a scene where fee or michael or someone goes into this warehouse and we see all the stuff that it's full of and then we the audience have the same kind of um like awe and wonder and, 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 fear. We, have, and we have to start like putting things together of like what are they using this for exactly but like there's this thing of like of just so we can feel that emotionally like i getting told a lot more than we're shown we're getting told a lot more that we're shown I feel like one of my big problem with like media of like the 2010s is that they really lost the ability to like do wonder, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and wonder doesn't always have to be good. Wonder can be like scary or something, but there's like wonder at seeing a thing. Like the, partially just because we got so good at showing people anything that nothing could be feels wonderful anymore Mm -hmm. like i'm like i just want to like have a scene where we go into their big warehouse and it's like full of stuff and we're like and we can like watch them react to things and go like and i just want to know about this organization because it seems kind of cool yeah like and like there's a lot of interesting complexities of like this being the counterpoint like michael hates the cia and is being very strong-armed into working for them but the thing he has to do to stay on the good side of the cia kind of forces him to look at the worst parts of the CIA, which he is already fairly aware of, and grapple with, like, is this a system I want to be in? You know? It would be more interesting if James, we liked him. Like, the problem is James, from the beginning, we don't like him. Right. And, like, there's never, even though Michael's like, I might be in too deep, I slept with Sonia. It's like, the first thing he does after he sleeps with Sonia is, like, tell Fee, because he's like, I learned communication. And, uh, you know, we meet James in the context of, like, he murdered all the the the, the bad guys uh, who were actually the U.S. military, so they're good guys, question mark. Like, there's no point where we take a breath and we're like, are we the baddies? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we need a are we the baddies moment. We but do. But Burn Notice can't commit it to can't that. can't commit to that. Which is too bad, because they have a lot of really cool stuff. I want to be like, I want to watch Michael get genuinely invested in cult leader James. Right. No, I just want to see the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. I, that's what I want. Yeah, I, I I feel that. But anyways, they're they're just like, they interpret from this, like, James could really fuck shit up. This is bad. <laughs> this is extremely bad. And it's like, okay, I guess boring way to reveal that but fine um so fee and jesse's cold approach is that they are drug dealers whose 
regular manufacturer blew himself to Kingdom Come, and so they have a bunch of, like, leftover drug materials that they need a new chemist for. And Mazik's like, that sucks for you. And they're like, what if we gave you this entire duffel bag of $100,000 in ecstasy? And he's like, okay, come in. And so they go in, security, like, checks them briefly and then clears out, which is hilarious because as soon as they leave, Fee pulls a gun from under all the ecstasy. And it's like, you didn't check... The duffel bag? You didn't confiscate the duffel bag? Like, ev- truly, everyone is so bad at their jobs this week. But, right. But fine, I guess. So they hold him at gunpoint and they're like, give us the antidote. Which is also, I, I realize, a leap because how do we know he made an antidote? Like, is that... This is my thing about every time <laughs> on that... this show, but honestly on any show, mm-hmm. is that everyone assumes... That there is an antidote. And now here's what I will say is there's an episode of Blind Spot, I think, and there's a handful of shows that are like this where it's like they, somebody's doing a chemical weapon thing. Uh-huh. So in that case, I understand why they would have an antidote because like if they're trying to like clear out the world's population, they know that they may be in danger at some point. Right. That makes sense. But when you're trying to poison one dude in a controlled environment and it's not contagious, what would be the point of developing an antidote alongside it? Exactly. For, for safety? I mean, it's for safety in He's theory. He's a fucking drug dealer. That's also dealer. like, I don't know. Is it that if you spill this on you, like you need the antidote? Maybe they don't that's explain it, that. They don't like. They no, just assume there's an antidote. They hold him at gunpoint when nobody like. There's like eight security guys, and they're like, they touch Fee's boob, and they're like, she's not packing. Everything's fine. Bye, boss. It's almost as if like <laughs> they assume that an antidote is the natural byproduct mm-hmm. of like making a poison. Mm-hmm. It's like. It's like the way that work the way that poison works is that you take a neutral substance and take out all of the good parts of it and put it in one vial so that in the other vial there's all the bad parts. See, I'm imagining like uh like a cool science lab with all of the like glass like tubes and, yeah. and bottles and stuff and there's like a like a fork in a in a thing and as you're developing it in one beaker goes the antidote and then the other beaker goes the poison and it's just right. like it's made at the same time. It's like, I guess you could throw away the antidote, but why Why would we? We should. We might as well keep a couple of vials yeah. of this. Yeah, no, it's fucking wild. Who cares? So there is a back and forth and he's like, fuck you. I'm not telling you where the shit is. And they're like, fine, we'll kidnap you and make you tell us. And then they throw him out a window into the water below. And he's like, but I can't swim. And it doesn't matter because we never see anything beyond all of them jumping into the water as like the guards break down the door that Jesse has barred. Then we go to the wood pallet outdoor factory. They just like go to an alleyway with a bunch of wood pallets. And that's just where they have this next meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and Mazik's like, I'm not telling you shit. Hamed's got to die. Fuck the Middle East. <laughs> and then uh, Snyder gets really upset and injects Mazik with the poison. First of all, where did they get the poison? Where? where... No, they got it from... Cater waiter? No, they didn't get from Cater Waiter. They got it from Mazik, I think. Oh, did they? Did he have poison in the room with him? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. But he didn't have the antidote with him in the room? I think so. Because, like, I'm pretty sure they got it from him. Okay. It yeah. truly doesn't matter. It does any, not matter. In any case, uh, Snyder injects him and is like, well, if you want yourself not to die, then you have to tell us where the antidote is. And Mazik's like, ugh, fine. The thing about this scene is that this is portrayed as, like, Snyder kind of going off the rails right but we've literally seen them do this before they have done it so they've done it multiple times usually they like lie about it they just like say that they injected him with something yeah like they inject people with foreign substances constantly absolutely constantly it's so (laughs) this episode is like 
what if you just had amnesia and this is the only burn notice episode you've ever seen? Isn't it cool and inventive? <laughs> right. It's just... This is the gas leak episode. It is, but it's also kind of We've like... we also leaked gas on people and had to inject them. But it's also... <laughs> yeah, like, not only have they done this before, but it is also, like, the thing that works. Mm-hmm. And, like... And it's usually the, like, the, the kinder option. Yeah. It's like we could sit and interrogate you for a while, or we could inject you with something that we know you can cure yourself of to force your hand. Yeah. This is a totally reasonable thing to do in these circumstances. And everyone's right. acting like Snyder's gone off the rails. He snapped. And then Sam calls in and is like, hey, guys, I'm still in the episode. Uh, Hamed's doing bad. And they're like, okay, thanks, Sam. <laughs> cool moving on back with maddie briefly she like gets home and like stress goes for a cigarette which if you will remember she has quit because she didn't want to like look bad in front of charlie and do you think there's a a longer cut of this episode that kind of gives him a lot more motivation no you don't think there's a snyder cut i don't think there's a snyder okay these are the kind of jokes i'm doing today i'm it's very like mid-2000s like open mic comedy yeah it's like i mean that's what i was doing open mics well, that makes sense that tracks for yeah you. like mid-2000s but yeah so so maddie goes home she's about to stress smoke a cigarette when james stops by and is like you shouldn't smoke that you've been doing so good you know creepy and yeah. she holds a gun at james and he's like let's just talk you can keep holding the gun at me that's fine and he's like really calm and is like i am protecting you michael isn't just an employee of mine he's my brother he is my best friend um everything is going to be fine we promise to be less weird around you and madeline's like sounds fake but okay and then james like takes the cigarette and the cigarette box from her the carton from her and like kind of like crushes it but it's a cigarette carton full of cigarettes so it doesn't really do anything other than like kind of crumple yeah and then he like stares at her and walks away like staring at her holding the cigarettes like i'm taking this away from you i'm doing this for your own good we spend so much time doing it yeah like when the 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 ultimate like end of this conversation is like James has some weird vibes, but I guess he's gonna be less weird around Maddie now. Cool, glad we established that. Yeah, like no, he. And then that's it. I think that's it for Madeline's plot, right? Yeah, that we don't see like Madeline has had two and a half scenes this whole episode. It's like no. she and Michael argue about James being weird. She thinks she's followed, and she totally is. And then James shows up and is like. I promise to stop following you, I, but I'm just doing it to protect you. And again, none of this is like a story. No. Much in the way that nothing else is. It's she like, doesn't discover anything. She confirms something and they're like, yeah, we know you've confirmed it. Fucking relax. Exactly. The moment when, again, the moment when she meets James, that feels like the midpoint of her story. Mm-hmm. But no, that's the end. That's the end. That's the end and we don't hear anything else about it. Cool. Glad we spent all that time then. <sighs> okay. So at the drug storage slash distribution center slash Taco Bell, there are more guards than a dying Mazik expected. So he tells them there's probably a break, still a break in the fence near the back where we usually would go to escape uh, if the police ever came through. But I don't know if it's guarded. And it is. But then Jesse stun and subdues them. That's a big point in the, yeah. the spy tip. You've got to stun and then subdue them. And Mazik gets them inside and he is about to give himself a dose of the antidote when Snyder takes it from him and is like, cool, now we know the dosage. Let's get out of here. And he starts to like zip tie Mazik to a table and they're like what are you doing and he's like well I mean we he can't live <laughs> like I I'm not gonna let him cure himself and like waste it like who knows if he'll give us the right dosage again we know this is the right dosage let's go and they're like well we can't we can't leave him here and he's like we, yes we can 
because we can't let him be alive because then he'll tell people about us or hunt us down. And also he's a bad guy, so we probably don't want him on the streets. We can't, like, give him over to the police because he'll tell them about us, and that's also bad. So this seems like the best case scenario. Either his friends, you know, interrogate and, like, kill him for looking like a traitor, or the sickness takes him. Problem solved. And, like, frankly, yeah. Yeah, okay. Fucking makes sense, Snyder. You no. got him. Here's the thing, though. But it genuinely does not make sense. Is that he's saying all this before he ties him to the table? No. The thing that... Because that becomes Okay, here's the thing. He's like, well, now we know the dose. And it's like, we know the dose for Mazik, who is a very different size and age. Oh, is that something that matters, uh, miss? I'm about to take my first test in 30 yeah, years. Like, you like you don't know like also like like Mazik's like a skinny kind of young dude, whereas like Hamad is like is it Hamad? Yeah. Uh, Hamed. Hamed. It's like an old kind of heavy set dude. Like because like on one hand, like the fact that he probably is like a little bit bigger means that you might need a little bit more, but also the fact that like he is older means maybe you need a little bit less or something. Like because like uh, other health problems, like, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't know how this interacts and how much you need or anything like that. Sounds like a lot of nerd shit that we don't have time to deal with, Chris. Like, it's just, it's, like, really weird that we're just making the assumption that, like, that is definitely the dose for Mm -hmm. everyone. Yep. Sure are. But it doesn't matter. Because my main thing is that why is he giving this whole grand plan, holding the, like, antidote in one hand and then, like, not fully tying up Mazik in the other? Because, of course, the first thing Mazik goes is, like, well, that sucks. I'm going to run away. It's also, like... What if they what if they need more antidote? <laughs> I assume they're taking the bottle with them. Yeah, but what if like they drop the bottle? Well, that's what I've been waiting to happen and it doesn't happen, oh, but that's not the main problem. So, he tries to run away and Snyder like trips and then shoots him very loudly. And now everyone in the factory who didn't know that they came in knows something is up. But thankfully Mazik is dead, so we don't have to worry about that. Then they're pinned down and running out of time as like everyone inside the like warehouse factory or whatever is like led on to them. And Mazik is dead. We should shoot these people who clearly killed our boss. And there's some like back and forth. Eventually we, we learn that Sam Jess, not Sam and Jesse, uh, Sam, Michael, and Hamed are in a car outside. They're in the charger. And Michael is like, they brought him to them because obviously they wouldn't have time to like get back to the field office. So they've taken Hamed on a road trip and are outside and drive around to like where they're going to escape. Eventually, Fee is like, Jesse, you have the antidote. Me and Snyder will cover you. And Jesse's like, all right, you promise you're going to be behind me? And she's like, yeah, for sure. So Jesse gets covered and heads out. But then after they like inject Hamed and they're like, hey, where is everyone? Like Je- uh, Fee and Snyder have not gotten out. They More people come in and Fee shoots them and is clearly much better at everything. And then like, some chemicals get spilled and get like lit on fire and Snyder and Fee are separated by the fire and Snyder's like oh sucks for you and leaves and like is doing really textbook cowardice he was like yeah he might as well be holding up a sign that says I am a coward Mm mm-hmm and so he runs out and Michael's like, where's Fee? And he's like, she didn't make it. And Michael, like, th- there's some genuinely good acting from Jeffrey Donovan in this scene. Right. Because, like, he, you see him react to that and then listen to the words again and then confirm. He's like, what does that mean? Right. And he's like, she didn't, there was a fire. And he's like, so you saw her die. And he's like, she didn't, there's nothing I could do. And he's like, that's, you're not telling, d- did she die? Did you watch 
the love of my life die. And Snyder's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Michael's like, okay, I will deal with you later. And so, of course, Michael rushes in and does a whole white knight thing and manages to get Fee out. Fireman carries her out. Yeah, well, he does a cool thing where he, like, he, well, first he burns himself on a fire extinguisher, which I like because that detail comes back later. Right. Um, And then he uses also made me think, like, why are fire extinguishers made of metal? I have the same thought! But I guess there's not really a lot of other materials that are, like, not flammable or get hot during fire. Yeah. Uh, That's also probably why there's a glass case. Oh, that makes sense. Because they're, like, protected from the heat and, you know... Presumably that's not in the heat. You use it to stop the heat, but whatever. So he, then he uses a jacket. He throws the fire um, extinguisher like into the main flames and then shoots it, which I guess is connected back to him doing his little target practice earlier in the episode because it's a fairly small target. That at least dampens things enough for him to kind of get over Grab Fee, who is like, you know, choking on the flames. So Fee is basically just like curled up in a ball and a fireman carries her out. Extremely hot. It was fine. I didn't think it was that hot. I mean... Uh, I don't know. I was so, like, annoyed bored. and bored by this episode. Just yeah, like, yeah, but I like Michael and Fee stuff. I'm I like do. I'm like one of our 54-year-old fans. But it's also fans. kind of like... <laughs> this is a mom show, and I am a mom. It's also kind of like... the Like, him fireman carrying Fee is so, like... Overwrought? Overwrought and, like, not Fee's deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I did wish that, like... She was more involved in her own rescue. Yeah. But, like, it's a Barrios episode. So exactly. I, so I know I have to temper my expectations pretty it's dramatically. Like, I'm, like, totally on board for, like, their romance. Mm-hmm. But, like, not Barrios's version of their romance. Yeah, that's where, like, yeah. But I but I, I think for me it was just, like, the scene with him and Snyder made me, like, it, it primed me for not being so annoyed at this scene right. as I could have been. Because, like, Jeffrey Donovan genuinely does do a really good job. Oh, he does. Like, he, there, there's there's layers to his performance that normally aren't there. Yeah. And I thought he did a good job. So now we head to... He's been good this season. He has been good this season. He's he's really pulling out all the stops. Yeah. So uh, we have a final scene. First, we start in Fee, uh, Fee's makeshift hospital room where she's, like, you know, coming out of uh, her, her coma or whatever. She hasn't been there for long. She notices Michael's injured, and he's like, don't worry about it. Like, you're going to be fine. And, like, they exchange a meaningful look. And then he heads out to go to an all-boys-only mo- uh, meeting. Nothing has happened yet, but I wrote in my notes... I think James is going to be mad that Snyder uh, left Fee behind and he's going to kill Snyder. And then, oh, what do you know? James comes in and yells at Snyder and kills him. Right. For being disloyal. He kills him. Like, Michael is kind of like, hey, he made a mistake. He's like, no, he almost got your girlfriend killed. Like, what the fuck? And then, like, he stares Michael in the eye and says, tell me that I'm wrong. And then Michael is silent. Like, that is the beat. That is the one beat in this episode that is, like, an overarching beat. Right. And And so that's what I'm saying is like the theme is loyalty. Exactly. But it's also kind of like, yeah, and it's like, what is, this is just another like, this is how deep Michael has gotten. Mm -hmm. He is like. But it's not really. Not really. It's not really. Like, this is an interesting idea. And you know that this is what the episode was written towards. Right. This is an episode written so that like, our burn notice guys think, hey, James is looking out for us. We know he cares about us, and but in like a very violent, scary way. And it's like, that's an interesting beat, but this episode was not worth it. And it's also like, you said earlier that like, this is the wrong person to write this episode. Yes, for sure. And like, and I was like, well, yeah, because he's the wrong person to write any episode. <laughs> but like, really, in order for this episode to work, we have to think it's bad that uh, Snyder is dead. 
Mm-hmm. And Alfredo Barrios Jr. does not think that. No. I, well, I, I don't know if it's so much that we need to think that it's bad. I think we should feel more conflicted about it than we do. Yeah. And it's like we're told to feel conflicted, but we don't actually because we, we it, first of all, it's too late in the season for me to still be like, hmm, maybe James is the good guys. Because there was a little, there was like an episode or two early on with Sonia at like between Burke and Sonia where we were like, is the organization good actually? Right. Like, is the twist going to be that they're taking down an organization that they actually believe in? But then we got rid of that almost instantly. So like, this is both too late in the season for this episode to fall but it's also they haven't done a sufficient job, even if they did keep it here in the episode, making me believe that Michael is genuinely swept up. Yeah. And it's also just kind of like the episode can't hate Snyder. Mm-hmm. The episode hates Snyder. He is not very well developed. No, he just fucks up. He just fucks up. Again, like I said, there's no arc to him. Mm-mm. There's nothing to him. Like, he is not a person. Right. And that's like, what we were saying at the beginning. Like, if he was good at his job and we were like, yeah, yeah, no, Snyder's right. Like, we should do all this stuff. Like, maybe if he saved the gang from something. Yeah. But then at the, like, last minute, you know, he chose self-interest. That's That's more interesting. Exactly. Like, then that feels like... But yeah, Barrios' contempt for bad guys. Just like flat black and white contempt for like... Contempt for bad guys and ineffectual men. Yep. Like, and it's just, yeah. So like, we don't care that he's shooting this guy. Nope. Like, we kind of want him to shoot the guy. Mm -hmm. He almost got fee killed. We hate him. And like, we don't, there's nothing redeeming to him. There's no character to him. We don't think of him as a person. Mm -mm. Like, he's not. He's just like, the thing is that like... He is there to die. Like... He's like a red shirt. He's there to die. Like, not to talk about next week. Mm -hmm. Because we'll talk about next week next week. But the thing is that, like, they do a better version of this beat next week. And it's like, the the beat that that they do next week is essentially the same beat, but, like, 5% more of all. Like, you don't need both of these episodes. Because they're both hitting the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like... It's such a weird thing. Like, we I don't... wish we had stayed with the like interiority of Michael Weston from the experimental horror right. of a couple of weeks ago. Because if we had stayed in that space where we actually watched Michael be like conflicted about all of this, yeah. maybe this would play more interestingly. And like each of these episodes could deal with like the way that Michael is interacting with the jobs that they're doing, and like his sort of like, ooh, yeah. I mean, we should save Hamad. Yeah. And we should get this guy. You know, like, if we see, basically, if Michael was acting the way he acted towards the end of the Patton Oswald arc of last season, yeah. with the insight into him that we have gotten this season through flashbacks and through the torture episode, this could have worked, even if it was three fairly bog-standard burn notice episodes, but through the lens of jobs he's doing for this organization. Exactly. But that's not what they're doing. No, it's not. But the thing is that, like, in order for us to care that, like, they're killing this guy... Like, we have to consider the humanity of the guy. Mm-hmm. And the episode does not care about the humanity of the guy. Mm-mm. Like, it's so... It's yeah, maybe work. if we'd met Snyder before this episode. Right. Or if he was just, like... Like, I understand why it couldn't be Sonya, but, like, could it not have been another guy that they've met once or twice? Yeah. No, it's so... Yeah, like, it just doesn't work. It, it does not it, work it, at yeah, all. it just does not work. But um, let's talk about spy tips. So there weren't that many. Probably we're not going to get it. I have chosen five. I have taken a leaf out of your book. Uh-huh. I've chosen five so that there's narrative tension to this Got section. It. I do not believe that all five will be standing by no. the end of this list. So number one, personal security uses a method called arm's reach 
In an attack, if you're closest to the client, you shield them. If you're closest to the attacker, you focus on the threat. One man tries to defend against danger and the other tries to find it. Of course, if personal security has to get involved, something's already gone very wrong. A good security setup stops threats before they ever get close. With a combination of human spotters, computerized facial gener- ge- recognition, and electronic surveillance equipment, the goal is to find the bad guys long before they make a move. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, there's some details in yeah. there. I like the arm's reach method. Neat. Number two, whether you're a professional or a civilian, there's ultimately only one way to find out for sure if someone's watching you. You have to go somewhere concealed and see if they follow. Go somewhere concealed. No. And hope we've, you don't put yourself in danger. Like you said, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. We've, we've usually talked about it in context of cars, but it's the same principle and it's I would have thought about it. No, yeah, of course. No, fuck that. Also, this feels like, unless you are literally packing, would have a not as good of an effect. Exactly. No, terrible tip. Bad. Yeah, yeah very bad tip. If you want to, like, sure, you're confirming you're being followed right before they fucking kill you. Exactly. All right. Well, new number two. There are a lot of reasons strip clubs have become a common meeting spot for a wide range of criminal activities. For one, they're open in the day, windowless, and too loud for good audio surveillance. They also provide privacy. Dark corners designed for flirting with dancers work just as well for a covert meeting. And of course, if you're doing or saying anything illegal, chances are everyone else would be too distracted to notice. See, this is my thing, like I was saying earlier, is that like, it almost feels like the tip is going to end with, and there's hot naked chicks. (laughs) (laughs) but like it can't say that right because it has to act like it's better than that Uh but it's not like i mean i would almost respect i would almost respect them more and be like also there's goyles taking their clothes off (laughs) god what i wouldn't do to hear michael weston say goyles right but they got their titties out. <laughs> the titties, though. Like, I would just like, that's more honest. Yeah, it is. But to be honest, there was a lot in this tip that like... Yeah, no, I think that this is a good tip, though. There is a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. This is useful. I now understand why I would go to a strip club, like, specifically for these reasons. Because there's girls with their titties out. Because there's girls with their titties out. Yeah. And I'm too distracted to notice anything else. All right, number three. Once you sold your cover ID to your target, it's important to know your limits. The more complex and technical your cover is, the greater the danger is that you'll be discovered. If you're pretending to be an expert in organic chemistry, it's a good idea to make your move as quickly as possible. Okay, have we had this before? I'm sure. I don't know. Because the thing is, I remember, I think this is pretty Mm self-evident. But also, I enjoy, I liked that they acknowledged it. Because, like, sometimes on this show, like, they will play someone like this and then they will like just kind of bullshit for a while and it's like this is a bad cover because you're gonna have to bullshit a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. so it's like i like them acknowledging you know yeah you you shouldn't do this for very long yeah i mean it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but like i i'll i like it for that you like it for that okay Okay. let's keep it who cares doesn't matter it's the last five episodes all right and so for the fourth and final tip as a possibility, there are many techniques for dealing with guards without raising alarm. They all boil down to two basic steps. A stunning move to stop your target from crying out and a subduing move to keep him quiet. And we watch him do it. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. That yeah. like, Because like, I would probably go straight to subdue. But it does make sense to like start with stunning. No, you, you, yeah. You have to get him quiet. Like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the thing is, we've watched them like take out guards so many times mm-hmm. and this is what they do but i don't think we've had the tip before no i don't think so either yeah so of course like, i'll take it doesn't matter but you know yeah it doesn't matter there were unless, only four like, unless at the end of the show you're going to like have a total of all the good spy tips <laughs> god no 
Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, so there were at least five practical spy tips. Congratulations, everyone. And by that, I mean, nope. Uh, there were not at least five practical spy tips. So first thing, fuck that. Nope. Uh, did they use spycraft over violence? I Kind of not. Like they lie to get into the drug dealer's den. They fake being uh, security. But that so they doesn't don't really, matter. Yeah, they don't really solve anything. Like the... No, they inject a guy with poison. Right. And, and that wasn't even them. They kind of just stumble around as Snyder fucks things up and gets Snyder out of trouble. Yeah, no, that's not... There's not Spycraft in this episode. Fuck it. Not really, yeah. Yeah, even though, like, the tips that we kept aren't particularly spy tips. No, they're more, like, security tips. Exactly. And, like, they're practical, yes, but if we're using the strictest definition of the word, spy is not what would be the first right. thing that comes to mind. Okay, so, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's no alias. There's I no did alias. have to add Fee and Jesse to the list of character aliases wiki. And for the love of God, if anyone is listening and uses the wiki, please explain to me how to center text within tables on the wiki editor. I can't figure it out. And... <laughs> My entries look so stupid because I have to add new co like rows and they don't maintain the formatting of the previous rows and it looks messy. But I swear I'm adding things to the wiki all the time. Someone just come to please format for me. Somebody, for the love of God, format that page. Um, but yeah, so I did add Fee and Jesse because technically they had enough of a cover story that it warrants mentioning on that list, but not for the no. not for the purposes of this formula. So. No. Oh for three so far. Let's see. They're not gonna get anything else. No. I I guarantee they're not gonna get two supporting characters used well. Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be protagonist? No. No, something gets blown up around her and she yeah, just dies. Exactly. She does not. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the opposite of what you want. Is Sam Peak Bruce Campbell? Let's see what's he do. There's the, nothing. The, he has that one conversation about crab cakes, but mostly, yeah, he's like a side player. No, yeah, no, fuck it. He's mostly there. off camera. Yeah, no, it's not great. Uh, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than redundancy? Um, not really. No, what does Jesse do? No, Jesse does, all. frankly, less than Sam. Yeah, no, fuck all. Nothing. <laughs> uh, does Madeline, however, get a genuine emotional moment with another character or get to do the case of the week? No. You don't think that her conversation with, with Michael about, like, you know... They, they did this with Charlie around me. I'm going to get them. And then her conversation with James. No, fuck him. No. <laughs> yeah. Over no, like, four. Over four. Like, at this point, like, yeah, I don't want to give it anything. <laughs> You've gotten, like, progressively more angry. Exactly. Well, it's also kind of like, yeah, no, none of the Madeline scenes are good. No, they're not. Bad, bad episode, bad, guys. Yeah, it was bad. The most... But boring and forgettable. It wasn't even interestingly bad. No. no. Yeah, it wasn't even like horny bad, like Bridget Tyler's episodes. No, of course. It's just boring and nothing. There's nothing there. And we all know who to blame. Daniel Touch. <laughs> Clearly he's the bad seed. The bitter pill. Uh, it's probably Tuke or something. Who cares? We, we pronounced Lawrence Demille's name wrong for like most of her run on this show. People don't come here because we're smart <laughs> or do any amount of research. They come here because hey, they have nothing do, better to do. We do research. We just do very specific research. Yeah. To Remember the, the episode that you went really deep into BYU TV? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking about <laughs> when I said that we do research. I did a lot of research about Mormon television. So I think it goes without saying that this was not a great episode of television. This was not a great episode of Burn Notice. This was simply 
an episode of television. If that. <laughs> if that. Uh, sayonara, Daniel Touch, and Alfredo Barrios Jr. This is the thing, right? Fucking better should luck next like, time, guys. Should be, we be, like, wrapping up our feelings on writers? I think that that'll be a finale episode. Once yeah. I reveal final uh, stats. Yeah. We hardly knew ye. We hardly knew ye. But yeah, I, I don't feel... I... Like I mean, what what what's what can I, what we say like, about? But it's it's kind of appropriate that like he goes out on a real bad one, like a real singer. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, I would have wanted him like to like go out on a good one, you know. Mm-hmm. But like, no, just sucks. I can, I mean, I can give you Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s details. Okay, so I guess yeah, since this is the last Alfredo Barrios Jr. episode, I if you want to know. Uh, out of the nine total episodes that Alfredo Barrios Jr. has written, all of them were simply an episode of television. <laughs> Alfredo Barrios Jr., for the eight years that he worked on Burn Notice, never wrote a great episode of television and only wrote three great episodes of Burn Notice. One third. Which is interesting considering, like, he is one of the sort of big daddies. You he know, like he's, one of the he's stepdaddy. Yeah, he's one of the definers. Of, like, the Burn Notice thing. Mm-hmm. And has been with the show the longest next to Matt Nix, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But he, only one out of three of his episodes were great episodes of Burn Notice. None of them were great episodes of television. He did use 8.5 yogurts. So technically, if we spread those out, 94% of his episodes had yogurts, which is not how that statistic works at all. No. But, but... like, that's a pretty bad showing. Yeah, I mean... It's a really bad showing. I mean, we don't like the guy. No, we don't. But, like, holy shit, the fact that 0% of his episodes were great episodes of television and only a third were great episodes of Burn Notice? Yeah. Like, the numbers don't lie. Mm, Not a strong showing. Not a strong showing from Alfredo Barrios Jr. So, um, yeah, I I mean, any any final thoughts? You know... You're not my real dad, Alfredo. (laughs) We've been very mean to you, Alfredo. And it's warranted. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we don't... I, <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I don't... Yeah, like, I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying... I want to be like... I mean, I'm sure you're not a bad person, but, like, I think kind of think you're not a great person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to, like... I am glad that I will never watch an episode of television written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. ever again. I mean, you don't necessarily know that. He could be anywhere. <laughs> he could come out of the woodworks. I know, but I actually think that, like, he is an example of, like, the downside of the Matt Nix thing of, like, always working with these same people. Sort of the downside of the uh, the James thing as well is, like, loyalty yeah. over quality of employer Exactly. Employment. It's the thing where, like, I would never... I would never in a million years hire this guy if he kept writing episodes like he does. I would not keep I mean, him maybe, around. Maybe he's like a good producer. Maybe he's a good producer. Maybe I he's good in what... the room, but yeah. like, holy shit, his episodes are not good. Yeah. And it's also like fair to say, like, we talk about the way that these episodes are written with like very kind of like, we get, we give authorship of episodes to the people who are credited as writers. Right. Uh, this is a show that is definitely a little bit like room written. Like a lot of, People well, and, and every show is room written, exactly. and every show, like, the showrunner does do passes. So, like, we know Matt Nix has got his dirty little fingers all over everything. Exactly. However, there are obvious trends 
in his episodes. <laughs> in his episodes and in all of the writers. Like, the, the only reason we are able to extrapolate what different writers' strengths and weaknesses are is because despite the, you know, strong, sticky hand of Daddy Nick's, there are trends. There exactly. are observable trends. And the observable trend is that Alfredo Barrios Jr. has weird, bad opinions about women and relationships and cops. And, and gangs. And gangs. And he just makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. So, um, good riddance. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Hope you have the time of your life. And thanks again to Vincent E.L. for the use of our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye-bye. What if on the last episode we sang Good Riddance, Time for Your Life? (laughs) Time for Your Life? I don't know the song well enough, and I refuse to learn. Fair enough. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.